Okay, well, as I was thinking about what to share about today, I really felt like this is what God put on my heart. And I believe that there are some people here that this is going to mean a lot to you. And other people, you're going to say, I knew that. And I hope that you'll be encouraged with some additional scriptural background as to how this works. But I want to open it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It says that we must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's interesting. God says in order to to function properly as a Christian, in order to please God, you've got to believe that he exists. Oh, and there's one other thing. You need to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's interesting how important it is to believe that God is good. Like, all the time. And this reminded me of... Uh, a couple I met when I was a missionary in Mexico. It was 2001, and I was in Durango, Mexico, and Durango is, in, <clears throat> is a little uh, city in the middle of a bunch of mountains. And in those mountains, there are villages that are still miles from where electricity reaches. There are tribes there that don't speak Spanish. Um, and there was a missionary couple They were the Ferguson family. They were there with a couple of their young kids, and they had come all the way. They were living in Durango, and their goal was to reach a certain community of of indigenous people in the mountains. He had an an F-350 jacked up two inches with these big old wheels, and they would get on the dirt road from Durango and travel on dirt roads for 13 hours straight in this big truck just to get to this village where this group uh, lived, this tribe lived, and they, uh, they were a subgroup of the Tepehuanes, and if you've ever seen or heard about different Native American groups, these are the ones that are famous for, for running marathons barefoot. You ever heard of them? So this was a, a, a set uh, of that group, and they were on their way out there, and they would leave their home that was set up in Durango. And the only reason their home was set up in Durango was because they were trying to reach these people, and they had not gotten permission from that people to live with them. So they would pile everything up into their big old 4 by 4 and then drive as fast as they could, which was 13 hours on dirt roads to get out to this place and then try to befriend these people. And during the time that I was there, they were so excited because they told me they have finally given us permission to build a house and stay in their village. And I didn't know necessarily what that meant at first because I started asking about it and they had been working for two and a half years just to get permission to come. They would go there and they would bring stuff and they would do things for the kids and they would put on little medical clinics for the the people and they would help them with with toothaches and they would 
do everything they knew to be a blessing to this group of people, but still they started telling me all the different rumors that had gone around. It had taken them two and a half years because they were close about a year earlier and then someone spread a rumor that they were there to steal all the kids. And suddenly the doors that had previously opened, the person that had said, you can set up camp near my house said, not anymore. And these people who were dedicating their lives to try to be a blessing to these people, their goal was to go there and to learn the particular dialect of language that they spoke there and to learn it well enough to be able to make the alphabet and put the Bible into their language. And their heart was to help, but it took them three years to convince those people there that we're here to help you, not to hurt you. And it's interesting, as we run that parallel, I realize some of us are that way with God. James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Now, the reason the Bible says do not be deceived is because God knew many people would be deceived. So whenever you see do not be deceived in scripture, you need to go, okay, lots of people have been. Now I need to be careful not to be one of those people. It says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So what is God saying? He says, don't be deceived. Good things come from God, and God doesn't shift back and forth. So it's not Monday God sent me a raise at work. Tuesday, he gave me a toothache. Wednesday, he blessed me. Thursday, he twisted my ankle. And I say, some, to some people, you're like, well, of course not. <clears throat> but the Bible says, do not be deceived because there are so many people who have grown up with an understanding, not realizing what this scripture says. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Who does not? It's so important that it adds that last part of the verse. It says, by the way, he sends the good and he doesn't flip-flop. Say it with me. God doesn't flip-flop. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. He adds, God's blessing does not come with trouble. It doesn't get any clearer than this. But many of us have been taught something different. I recently met a friend at the hospital, and he, he didn't come to this church. And a lot of times I get to visit people who attend this church. And so I kind of know what they grew up hearing and what they've been listening to on Sundays. But <clears throat> this was a friend from one of our kids' sports teams. So I didn't know what he was, <clears throat> what his understanding was. And, and we started talking. And he was there because of some severe health issues. <clears throat> and I start talking to him about that and came to realize that he believed that God was giving him these health issues. And so I said, let's go 
to John chapter 11, verse 14 through 18. It says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Then he continues and says, if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this to you because you claim that I drive demons out by Beelzebub. If you didn't know this, Beelzebub is a name for the devil, for Satan. And so Jesus is there. He's casting demons out of someone. And some of the people there said, oh, yeah, he's doing this by Satan's power. Basically, they were saying, He's the cure, but he's also the cause. And this is what Jesus said. He said, no. He says, I am not the cause. I'm just the cure. In fact, he said it would be impossible for a kingdom to stand if it was divided itself that way. If, If the devil was curing and causing then his kingdom would fall. Jesus flat out said, that's not a possibility. So why do we get confused about that? And a lot of it has to do with a misunderstanding of sovereignty. How many of you know the term sovereignty? See, sovereignty has to do with God's power. And... Romans chapter 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Have you heard, how many of you heard that verse before? All right, I won't ask you to raise your hands as to how you heard it explained because some of you heard that explained this way see god chose who was going to be saved who wasn't duck duck goose it was all him then it was over you had nothing to do with it now let's look carefully at what this said he said those he foreknew he predestined It did not say those he predestined, he foreknew. Now, if you want to get the the difference between that, let's pretend that I am going to have a party. Emily and I are going to have, we're going to invite you all to our house. How much food do we make? Well, if we're smart, we're going to say RSVP, please. We're going to give you an address, an email, something. We're going to say, please tell us if you're coming. If you RSVP, if, if let's just say half of you RSVP, and then we prepare for every one of those, and everyone who RSVPs comes, everyone who didn't, didn't, did we force you to come? Now, what if, so this is what it's saying. Those he foreknew 
In other words, he saw the future. He knew who was going to RSVP. And then he planned and predestined for them to be there. If it said it the other way around, then it would be those he, we prepared meals for had to RSVP. See how that would be weird? We prepared a meal for you. You have to RSVP. No, that'd be the other way around. See, God foreknew and then he planned for it. God gave us a free will. He gave us a free will. <clears throat> I remember, and it's getting, it, it seems fresh to me, but it's pretty old now. It's now it's like from the 90s. How many of you remember The Matrix, the first movie? And in that movie, there's this prophecy that someone is going to come and, and the main character goes to this seer person, this person who, who can see the future, this prophet, and, and she turns to him and says, don't worry about it. And he says, don't worry about what? And he knocks a vase over and it breaks. And then she says, what's really going to bake your noodle is would you have broken it if I hadn't said anything? That whole, did, did, did you knowing it would happen cause it to happen? That's the confusion. But what God says here, he says, I pre, well, those he foreknew, he predestined. A lot of it comes from a confusion, thinking that absolutely everything God wants to happen automatically happens. Let's look at 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. What does that verse tell us? That verse tells us that it is God's desire that no one perish. Now, we don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize some people will perish. Is that not true? The Bible talks about it. The separation of the, the sheep and the goats and the people who, who, so many different places, the people who say, oh, we knew you. And he said, no, I never knew you. There will be people who perish, but was it God's will? Did he want them to perish? Did he decide ahead of time, duck, duck, goose, I don't want you no matter what you think? No. Scripture says he wills that all of them, that everyone would repent. Paul explains, and this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible, it's Acts 17, 24 through 27. The reason I like it is Paul is talking to a group of people who don't know anything about God, who he is, and he explains briefly who God is, what he is, and why he did what he did. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by hands and is not served by human hands as if he needs anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them in the exact places they would live. God did this so that... So all of that creating the world, he did it for a reason. Here it comes. He did that so that men would seek him. Why did God make Adam and Eve? He wanted a relationship with them. 
Why did he make you and I? He wanted a relationship with us. That was it. I've used this example before, but if somebody came and put a gun to my wife's head and said, tell Joshua you love him, and she says, I I love you, how many of you realize that's not very meaningful? She had no other choice. But when she chooses despite knowing my flaws and inadequacies, says, Josh, I love you. That means a lot. You see, God, even though he doesn't have flaws and inadequacies, he wanted to have a meaningful relationship with us. He made us with free will. All that Paul says, he made the world. He created the first person. And and the couple, and then from them, he made everyone else, and he did it so that we would seek him. And, And we can go on, and there's a lot that we can talk about when it comes to uh dominion and how God gave Adam and Eve dominion, and then they gave it to the devil. But the real question, and then Jesus won it back. And we have it. But here's the thing. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why doesn't God control everything? Because of free will and Satan. Mark chapter 5, 1 through, well, verse 1, yeah, 1 through 9. It says, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, Where Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often broken, been chained hand and foot, but he tore his chains apart and broke the irons off on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So... This is the madman of the Gadarenes. He was literally, as the story progresses, we find out that Jesus casts a legion, like thousands of demons, out of him. Those demons were empowering him to literally break metal chains. No matter how thick they would put the chains on him, he would break them. There was so much demonic Activity in this man's life. If anybody was being controlled by the spirit realm, you'd say it was him. But when he saw Jesus against the will of those thousands of demons, he ran to Jesus. You see, God gave us a free will, and even Satan can't take that away. It does not matter what the situation is. You have been given something by God that is so powerful. Even thousands of demons could not stop that man from going to Jesus. 
says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me for Jesus had called to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then we see that they, they goes on and there's this conversation and Jesus casts the, the, the demons out and then this man, back in his right mind, gets dressed and, and becomes an evangelist in that area. But there was nothing that those demons couldn't, he still had free will to stop even, even then. John chapter 10, verse 10 through 11 says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What I want to encourage people about today is that God is a good God. And there are some people, just like my friend who was in the hospital who thought, well, I might be here because God wants me sick. I might be here because God wants to teach me something through this. But that's not, that's not what God says in Scripture at all. Some people are allowing the very things that are attacking them because they believe that it's, it's supposed to be there. Psalms 23. How many of you ever memorized that? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Just think of the picture of this. He guides me in the path of righteousness and is for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice that when David is inspired to write about God's role as a good shepherd, it's not a roller coaster God. It's not flipping and flopping. Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus' heart. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't look at them and say, good, they're right where I want them. No. When he saw them, he had compassion, a desire to do good for them. Luke chapter 11, verse 11 and through 13 says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? How many parents we have here? I don't have to even ask, but I know none of you would do that. Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? <laughs> we were living in Durango, and my son was one and a half, and he came crawling into the room one time with something in his hand. We opened it up. He had a dead scorpion in his hand. We took it. We didn't give it to him. We took it away really fast. I don't know if it was dead because he grabbed it 
or if he found it when it was dead, but thankfully he was never stung. But if you then, being a natural parent, if you then, though you are, you're not God, you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? See, God says, I am not the type of father who would give something negative when asked. Jesus made it clear. He said, I'm not the cause of trouble. I'm the cure. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. See, here's the thing. If we don't know that the negative things in our life didn't come from God, then we don't resist them. If you think God sent that problem, you don't resist it. I think it was a Sunday night I told the story. How many of you were here when I told the story about the, fa- the, the cobra and the family, the missionary? Did I not tell that story here? I'm only seeing one hand, so I'm going to tell this story again. So I, I heard about a missionary who was working in India. And there was a family nearby where they lived, and the husband was bitten by a cobra, the venom of which was so powerful it killed him. And the man met with the the now single mother of several kids and, and tried to console her and offered some help. And only a few days, maybe a week later, she came back and one of her children had been also bit by a cobra and died. And the missionary was just overwhelmed with compassion for this woman. Oh my goodness, imagine the chances two people in her family have now died and he tries to to help her again and, and offers some things and whatever. A couple of days go by, another one of the children is bitten by a cobra. He goes to visit this lady's home. He shows up. She's there. She still had a couple of more kids. He's talking to her, and he sees some movement out of the corner of his eye, and he looks off to the side, and there in the corner of her hut, he sees slithering by the cobra, probably the very one that had just bitten now three members of her family. He jumps up. He says, get back. He says, I'll kill it. And she says, no, don't do it. He says, what? She says, well, my aunt died and the next day this snake showed up. I think it might be her. One by one, the snake had been killing members of her family. But she was unwilling to resist it, to, to, to send it away, to kill it, to do anything because she didn't recognize that it was the enemy. She thought maybe perhaps this was a reincarnation of her aunt. And so she was just welcoming the snake. And every time it would bite somebody, she's like, oh, I must have, she must have overheard me say something inappropriate. I don't know what. See, when we don't recognize the enemy as the enemy, then the enemy, like that snake, just sits there and does damage over and over and over again. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20 says, 
Then the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is what, what Jesus says. He says, yeah, I have given you authority over the enemy, over the cause of evil. See, the Bible says that the devil comes to, can you remember, steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus says, have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It, it sounds just too easy. But the main point of today's message, good God, bad devil. My dad says, what are you going to preach on? I said, good God, bad devil. He goes, oh, good. <laughs> it seems simple, but if we get even a little bit confused... If we get a little bit off, the Bible says, don't be deceived. Why? Because many people are. They're thinking that, oh, God, God did this. I want you to, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. I want to strengthen one of the points before I quit. And that is, what you do affects your life. Isaiah chapter 38 has a very interesting story. The king at that time was King Hezekiah. And verse 1, the prophet comes to him and says, get your house in order, you will die. He had gotten sick. And the prophet came and said, get your house in order, you will die. The Lord says, you will not recover. Leaves. How many of you would like to get that prophecy? Not me. He's, whoa. Whoa. The interesting thing is, Hezekiah repents. He prays. And then verse 2, the prophet comes back. Well, God says he has seen your repentance and will add 15 years to your life. The idea is, how did, how did he add 15 years to his life? His, his repentance. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? What did God tell Jonah? He said, go to Nineveh, tell them that because of their wickedness, they will be destroyed. Jonah goes in there, tells them they're going to be destroyed, goes to the mountaintop nearby, sets up camp, and he hated Nineveh. He's waiting to watch it happen. He wanted a front row seat to the fireworks. He's like, I want to watch this happen. The very messenger who brought the message was convinced it was going to happen. Why? Because God had said, this, here are the consequences of your actions. This is what's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Why? Because they changed. See, you and I, are not mindless slaves 
to a pre-written destiny. So many people sit back and think, well, bad stuff's happening because it's just got to happen. Oh, and good stuff, good stuff's going to happen if it's got to happen. But that's not the way the Bible portrays it. You see, when bad things happen, God says resist and the devil will flee. And I'm going to take this the other side. Do you want, how many of you want to be used by God? How many of you want to have a positive impact in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school? The other area where this attitude has damaging consequences is when we sit back and say, well, if God wants to use me, I guess he will. If he doesn't, I guess he didn't want to. You have free will to choose. God is there, ready and willing to act through you. Don't sit back and think, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. No, pray. Say, God, put in me the desires. The Bible says that he gives us the desires of our heart. Does that mean Ferrari for everybody? But a Jeep for Mark? We know he likes Jeeps. <clears throat> no. Not necessarily. What it means is he puts desires in your heart. He gives you the desire of your heart. Tell you what. When I was doing mission work, I loved it. I loved it. I loved going places, eating stuff that you could not, like you did not know what that was. People have asked me what the weirdest thing that I've eaten. I said, you know, the weirdest stuff I've eaten is probably the stuff I didn't know what it was. I don't know if that meat was lizard, iguana, dog, who knows? And was, was it awesome? I mean, literally, was it no, man, mosquito bites hurt no matter where you are. And I mean, but I had a desire to be there. God had given me the desire of my heart. I loved being there. There was a call. I had this grace given by God. He had given me a desire to go out there. And I mean, I loved it. I remember one particular time spending the night in this was in the Darien jungle in Panama and we're staying at this church and they had pews that were just benches and they were from my elbow to my wrist wide and it would rain all night long and cover so I had to sleep on one of those pews and I balanced myself on that pew in my sleeping bag so as to not fall off either way. And there weren't enough pews to double up because there were a couple of other people and they had to use them too. So we each got one pew. And I slept the whole night on that. And when I got up in the morning, I was like, yeah! It was like I'd won a video game or something. I was just so excited. Now, in the natural, is it exciting? Is it fun? No. I wouldn't say, wouldn't like, hey, you want to do something really fun? Let's go sleep on a bench about that wide all night long and fall in mud if we fall off. 
No, but when, when I had a calling, when God put that desire in my heart, it became something fun. So, to sum it up, say it with me. Good God, bad devil. Good God, bad devil. See, he, his blessings, the blessings of the Lord, do not, Proverbs 10.22, he adds no trouble to it. And we need to resist the devil. And if we do not recognize that the hardships that the challenges, that the difficulties that come into our life are from the enemy, then we are going to welcome them or we're going to either, either we welcome it, endure what we weren't asked by God to endure, or we get upset at other people who aren't the cause. But God is not the cause. He is not the cause. The, the, the scripture says that he works for good. There's a big difference between causing and bringing about good. See, God is, is the expert at taking what the devil intended for evil and squeezing every possible bit of good out of it. Don't confuse that with God causing that. He will squeeze every ounce of benefit from whatever the devil has tried to send our way, but that is a far cry from him sending it to us. I want to close with that. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that your blessing has no trouble added to it, that every good and perfect gift comes from you and that you have no shadow of turning. Lord, I just thank you that we can trust you we can trust you to desire what is best for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you know that your sins are forgiven, that if you died today, you'd be on your way to heaven, I want you to raise your hand. If you see these people's hands up and your first thought is, how do they know? I want to talk to you. See, the Bible says, know that you have salvation. It doesn't say hope that you might have salvation doesn't say, hey, when you die, you'll find out. No, he says you can know. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, confess with your mouth, believe with your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the sin that had you separated from God. You're forgiven. You can know that you are forgiven and on your way to heaven. That is God's gift to you. That is the beginning of many gifts from God. But if you want to know, I want to ask everyone here to close your eyes just a moment. Don't want anyone to feel embarrassed. But if this is you and you want to know with certainty, so then next week you can raise your hand if I ask. But more importantly, so that you can spend eternity with him and here on earth, have peace knowing that your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven. If that's you and you want to do what the scripture said in Romans 10, 9, and 10 with me in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it up. Is there anybody here? All right. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for everyone here. We thank you that you love us, that you have wonderful plans for our lives. I pray your blessing on each person, family, and home represented here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.